With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. It's the Fulhamish podcast, an audio sea of tranquility in the raging seas of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and on the weekend that Star Wars opened at the box office, Slav Wars is in full effect right now in the Fulham fan base. Are you Slavin or are you Slav out? We will find out later in the podcast what the opinion in the studio is as the Whites slid ever closer to the dark side of the championship following a horrendous 1-0 defeat to Sunderland on Saturday. Uh, and I have four Fulham Jedis in the studio with me this evening. I am your Dartha, Don Betts. Hello, hello. Uh, a man who, when it comes to Strongbow, is always on the dark side, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Obi-Wan Ben Obi, Ben Jarman. Hello. And Dan Crawford, who I didn't come up with a pun for. How are you doing, Dan? I'm very well. How are you? Very good, thank you. The man with the biggest lightsaber, Dan Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) Finishing off the job for me nicely there, Ben. Thank you very much. Well, loads to get through in tonight's podcast. It may not be terribly pretty, but we will say it anyway. First off, we need to do some three-word reviews from Saturday. I mean... Speaking of not pretty, this is a war zone. Yeah, this is this is bad. This is this is the worst I think it's this ever This is the been. dark web. Yeah, the, I mean this isn't pretty. I liked there was some there was some there was some funny things in amongst, amongst the absolute pure like liquidation of, of Fulham's performance. But Richard Bamber said another charity day question mark, which I thought was <laughs> quite funny. EDN Teddy Nello said Fulhamish or what? Justin Glessner had too many midfielders. Cameron Church sack the Serb. Cameron Ramsey lights camera fuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and and FFC Luke, who just went simply for the final straw. I mean, it's always a dark place when we lose, but it was particularly bad on Saturday. Just before we get into Saturday's performance, just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes, and right now Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, get £20. That means if you deposit a fiver, Ladbrokes will add another £20 to your account. You'll have £25 to bet on how long Slav will stay in a job. You can get this offer by following the link at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. So it was a horrendous result at the Stadium of Lights. A 1-0 defeat, handing the Mackhams their first home victory of 2017. Ben, I'll start with you. Obviously, the result was terrible, but are you more concerned about the manner of the loss? Yeah, absolutely. It was terrible. It was tepid. It was uh, just a, a horrendous spineless performance for the whole team. I think we really lacked any sort of cohesion across the park. When we did create chances, we we didn't ever look like scoring. We may, we wasted the most of them. Um, you know. We said against Birmingham last week and we said after the Millwall game that we, we looked like we were coming up with some sort of cohesion and that the system was starting to take place and that Jack had identified what Slav was trying to do with Stefan Johansson and it felt like it all fell apart at Sunderland and we said we'd never really been tested against Birmingham and we thought we wouldn't be against Sunderland but we really were and it was horrendous and 
the last sort of 10 minutes we were, we were torn apart and I don't quite know what, what country Bettinelli's in for his placement on the on the goal that they score. Don, we said last week how we need to get into Sunderland on the back foot early, get a stronghold of the game, get the home crowd on their backs, which would have been so easy with this Sunderland crowd baying, you know, with, with anger after what they've seen in the past year. Uh, could we had a 45 minutes of more passive football if we tried? No, like we had 66% possession and we must have three shots on target in the entire game against a team who haven't won at home in 364 days. Like that's just plain ridiculous. They're in the table f- for where they are. I know they've got some good players. They've got like good good attacking players like Lewis Graham and James Vaughan. But that's not the point. If you if you attack Sunderland on the front foot straight away, you will they will cause a total atmosphere in that game. If we scored in like the first 10 minutes, we could have ended up probably winning 3 or 4-0. But that simply didn't happen. We, just, we decided to play this football we've been playing all season where we just pass it about and don't do anything with it. It doesn't help when you're playing a striker on the wing and a centre mid up front. I don't understand the point in that. Like If you're going to play your hands, just play him in centre mid and play Font a striker and play or play Kamara a striker and play two wingers. It isn't that complicated that to play players in their right positions. But, te- but sorry, squad selection is one thing. But tempo and attitude is frankly another for me. And it doesn't matter who Slav picks at the moment. It's such a passive style of football. Like the, we, we just started, we're going into games strolling around just thinking that we're going to outpass a side and score. And that's great when you're in the good times, but sometimes you need to, need to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Last year it was formulaic, structured possession with a clear attacking intent. Well, I think we had that from, from the word go. Um, bar the the horrible patch around sort of September, October. And then the second half of last year, we were untouchable at times. We really knew how to get through the transitions. We knew when to spread it wide, when to cut into the box and when to get in behind. And this year it's just tepid. There's no there's no link up play between the thirds. We rely too heavily on too heavily on Tom Kearney to get absolutely anywhere up the pitch. And, you know, Last year, our, wi- our wingers were devastating and so was our forward play. And this year, they're barely making a mark on teams. It's 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 horrendous. Um, Jack, I can't believe we've passed nearly six, seven minutes of a podcast and not really heard from you. It's uh, unheard of in um, Fulhamish land. Now, Slav promised squad rotation, but yep. still no Molo uh, in the starting lineup. Still persisting with Steph Joe. His decisions get harder and harder to defend every single week. I think I'm 90% sure he's trying to get himself sacked. Um, that's my <laughs> that's my hot take on the situation because none of it makes sense. And Jukanovic is saying one thing and completely doing the opposite. He, he's spoken at length in the last week about how he wanted to rotate and how he had 20 players, he could only play 11 at once, and how the time had come during this busy period for rotation. Well, the time came and there was no rotation as we expected. It was one of those things where he has talked about it and refused to implement uh, and it's and it's just absolutely mortifying to watch it in that respect I, I don't understand who you know we spent a good 20 minutes trying to work out what the possession tactics were last week and how those players implemented into the system that Slav was setting up and again that system has failed to provide any sort of of respite. It didn't work against Brentford, and it, you know what? It barely worked against Millwall, and and it barely worked against Birmingham. And we were we were lucky to come away with three points in both of those games. We said that at the time that that basically the whole thing was papering over the cracks in the squad. And I think that what playing playing Steffi Hansen at at centre forward which I have yet to find one person who is able to explain why that's happening. I there is 
one of those things where 90% of the, the Fulham population is screaming for Cesc to be played at left wing. That didn't happen. And instead, we saw Rui Font, who we had a look at his player ratings this week. And Rui Font's player ratings, when he plays through the middle, are 0.75 of a percentage point higher than they are when he plays on the left wing or the right wing, for that matter. That screams that he's being played out of position. But it doesn't make any sense for him to be out there when, when there's that much disparity and when he's playing in two separate roles. Instead, he's forced out to the, the left wing. You know, Shea Ojo doesn't know where he's coming or going on the right because Font's trying to cut inside and Ojo's not sure whether to hang wide or to cut inside and, and play as an inside forward. Uh, and Johansson's just lost up there. It's an, another absolutely abhorrent game from Steph Johansson. And, you know, you, you look at one of those, you know, he, he is clearly, clearly not fit. He, he's clearly not playing at his full potential. And it just, none of it makes any sense with what Slav's saying. It, it, it just doesn't add up. If you were talking about squad rotation and you're looking to then, to make that work, to then go and play one, an injured centre midfielder at centre forward, but also... You know, to then to then play your striker on the left wing and and refuse to acknowledge the fact that that Ryan Sessegnon is not a left back is um it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, Dan, I haven't come on to you yet. Uh, Dan from uh, Fulham Supporters Trust fame and also uh, a big contributor to HammyN.com. Indeed, do you own HammyN.com? I own Tony. Tom, the editor. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, it was a pretty inevitable result on Saturday. What came in the end? It just—it was written in the stars that Fulham were going to go up there and give them their first win of 2017. Um, it was, and I think you have to give some uh, credit to Chris Coleman and Kit Simons um, mm-hmm. for you know for knowing Fulham inside out and coming up with a plan to to stop Fulham. But also, um, football's a game of fine margins. And I answer, you know, passions are high, particularly after a defeat like this. And you know, we haven't been playing particularly well for a while. But let's just examine what 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 happened in that first half, because um, you know, I think you described it as one of the most passive forty-five minutes of of football that had been for a while from a, for a, for a Fulham side. Well, since uh, last week, but uh, yeah. <laughs> earlier on. Um, but actually, uh, we could have been three 0 up in in twenty minutes. Uh, Ryan Tessignon from from left back got forward, whipped a ball across the six yard line uh, after five minutes. That Stefan Johansson nearly slid in and scored. Riffon playing out wide and drifting inside produced a cross that unfortunately fell to the um, the height challenged Ollie Norwood because uh, hmm. if it had been anybody taller, uh, it might well have been one nil. Probably should have been 1-0 anyway. And we were creating chances. Kearney was only denied by a wonderful last-ditch tackle from Browning. The problem, I think, is whomever Yukanovic uh, has been playing in those offensive positions, we haven't been clinical in taking our chances. And this is not a new problem um, for Fulham. What I would say is that... Um, you know, that Jack mentioned about, about Brentford and how, how it didn't work at Brentford. When it did work... For the first 40 minutes at, at Griffin Park, we looked in total control until um, until uh, David Button let a, let a shot through uh, Brentford's first first shot on target. Now, there's clearly a confidence issue that affects the the players when they when they when they go behind. But what I would say is 
this is one of those performances or non-performances that you're rather accustomed to as a, as a as a Fulham fan. When we go to places where teams haven't won for an awfully long time or when we play a team that's ridiculously out of form, you know that Fulham are going to be generous to the less fortunate and give them a give them a helping hand and you know so we did but i think there's still what 24 game 24 games le- left in the season i'm not in no way uh diminishing the vast disappointment and unacceptable nature of that that display and indeed Marcus Bentelli has, has come out and said much of much of that this afternoon well yeah he um, came out and said we've got to take a long hard look at ourselves and figure out uh, what we want to do this season we don't want to be a mid-table team but ben eight points from the playoffs I mean, we lamented last season when we lost to Birmingham that we were six points off the playoffs and we thought that it was all over. Surely now we have just got to accept, and as Dom has been saying literally since August, that we are just a mid-table team. I think there have been teams in worse situations than we are right now that have somehow managed to get up into that playoff spot. I mean, I think a good example is Palace a few years ago who were literally rock bottom, I think, just before Christmas and ended up going up via the playoffs. Is that the Andy Johnson season? Or was I, that like no no that's I, that's longer ago I couldn't than that, tell you, it? but I know that they Keen. yeah I know that they got up literally from from the relegation zone via playoffs, and they were in a much worse position than we are. I think we're not dead and buried by any means, but I think there are certain things that need to change. Firstly, Slavisa needs to stop being so stubborn with the way he wants to play football. We lauded him for having an identity last season. I think that identity worked, but he needs to be able to be flexible to understand that different systems need to be played against different teams in order to win and that different personnel should be selected to make a difference against those teams. I think playing a hideously out of form centre centre midfielder as your centre forward in what is essentially a false nine position uh, is not is not going to work. I also feel like, this is just my personal opinion, but calling for Mollo and, and Jordan Graham, I can see why, why people are doing it, because they want a change in selection and they're hoping that that fresh impetus is going to make us play a much better. But Mollo, in particular really struggles with authority and he's playing in a system that is whilst it looks fluid on the pitch in theory is actually quite a as a strict and solid system and the fact that it has quite a few moving parts and each every single one of you has to play a role but Molo's not accustomed to doing that he's got a long history both in France and in Russia now of going against points for authority when he's been told he needs to do something and I think we've seen from his his fleeting appearances over the over this season. As soon as he's required to do a role, he doesn't. He sort of drifts in and out of the game, and I think he's too much of an instinct player to fit into this system where Slav requires someone to do a role and do it well. That's just my personal opinion. I haven't seen enough of Graham to to pass judgment on it, but there's also players like Cisse who have completely disappeared. Whilst whilst he had a completely terrible game against Bristol Rovers. I think he he had a good one against Leeds and he had a good one against Cardiff and if you if you needed to shake up that midfield then you could quite easily add him in there as as some sort of presence. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think being eight points off the playoffs is any means that we are dead. But we just need to change a few things and and we have a January transfer window coming up. I personally believe that we need to back Slavisa through this this tough period and Slavisa in turn needs to therefore become more flexible in himself in his footballing principles uh, to give us results. Well, it clearly isn't... The way we played on Saturday clearly doesn't work because we had, in second half, we had 67% possession and mustered one shot on target. That Surely you must... Your brain must realise, well, this system clearly is not working. 
adjust it and play maybe a more direct, yeah. give Son more of the ball, and then we can catch him on the counter with quick players like we had Che Ojo if you miss, move Cess further forward, mm. or if we had the likes of Molo and Graham playing. But yeah, I don't understand how like you can just look look at what was happening in that first and second half, specifically the second half, because we only had one shot on target, and think, oh, this will eventually work. It's not going to eventually work unless you change it. My 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 feelings are like Slav has obviously got some point of influence from from like the South American game because it's clear that 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 four three three sort of like flair is working, and a lot of them in that in that culture don't really have so much of a of a flexibility. You look at someone like Bielsa, who's very He's nailed onto one style of football. And I imagine that working with Slav is very much like working with Bielsa in the fact that after a period of time working with a, a, a guy as intense as that and wants you to work as hard, it could be quite difficult to get yourself motivated for it. And you see Bielsa teams after a season or a season and a half, they drop off the radar completely. If you look at um, a really good example of this was Marseille under him in the f- his first eight months as coach, they were top of the league by six points. And by the end of it, they'd fallen as low as seventh, I think because they went on a horrendous run where their players were so tired and he doesn't rotate that you know the results just weren't there. And I feel like that could be happening with Slav. And we also have the period where we feel like he's hit a glass ceiling because he plays one style of football and can't flex anywhere else. Yes, he's a good building block, but how do you, how do you build on it? And I don't think Slav knows how to do that because he's never been anywhere for more than 18 months at a time. I wonder if this is what TC is trying to say behind the lines when he came out in the press yesterday. He said, uh, maybe we do try to score the perfect goal too much. We try to cut teams open and square balls into the box. We don't really score many scruffy goals. We could do with scoring a few more of them this season. Now, obviously, Tom Kenny can't come out and say we need to change our style. So he has to find kind of subtle ways of saying like, we're not playing the right way. We we need to change it up. And to me, in ulterior ways, is trying to say we keep playing the same way. It's not working. We need to change this up. Jack, do you think that TC has a point? Yeah, of course he does. It is not obviously you can't come out and be like I don't actually like the tiki taka system that my manager is trying to implement in me. Obviously. And he's trying to get himself sacked. Well, that's one thing. Um, but you obviously can't come out and say that because it is not the it's not the way forward. But like if your players are coming out and having to apologize, you know, realistically, uh, you know, Mar- Marcus Benelli coming in, coming out and saying, you know, the, all these things is lovely and it's nice to hear it from 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 him and you know, it's also nice to hear that Tom Tom Kenny knows what's going on and that he accepts it. The problem is that we're maybe trying to, you know, pass the ball too much and we're not direct enough in possession. The issue is that if the players recognise this, why are we not fixing it? If if the players are aware of these issues, if Tom Kenny is saying we are doing too much, passing too much, and we're not direct enough, he's the man, realistically, who holds the keys to the possession on the field. He's the man who dictates our tempo. And if he is not able to change that, then I don't know what that says. about isn't if he If he can't fix that, how... Who is going to fix it? Because it doesn't make any sense if Tom Kenny's like, right, this is what we need to do. And I'm going, right, yeah, I agree with that. And then we go out two days later uh, and we, we fail to provide any sort of attacking impetus or, pe- or tempo in, in a game which we should really be winning. Um, Dan, the goal from Josh Meyer was actually very well taken, but it's, it's horrendous defending in the build-up to it. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I'm a big fan of Tim Ream um, for, many, for many reasons. Um, especially because uh, he overcame a you know a very indifferent start, and he worked very hard to on, on what 
Slavisa Jukanovic wanted from a centre-half to, to get himself in the team. Um, and he will recognise that in the first instance to play a ball like he's done in, in, in that position to effectively gift Sunderland. It's not what he was trying to do, clearly, because he's normally very assured on the ball and he's trying to play an out ball to, to somebody. But it was, a, it was a bad ball to play. It put Fulham on the back foot and then we never really readjusted so uh, Josh Major who who scored the goal and took it really well actually Lewisham born and, and came through the Fulham Academy there are some questions to be asked again about the defending because uh, Adam Matthews takes it up the left side gets to take it a long way without being shackled uh, really looks like he's run out of impetus Major produces a wonderful turn to sort of go past McDonald and Reams there as well um Sort of, sort of around, around um, Madger, and then he produces a, a quite brilliant finish. I think Ben being a bit harsh on um, on Marcus Bettinelli there, because if we're going to mention that as a howler from from Bettinelli, I'm not saying it as a howler. If we're, we're going to mention that, sure. If we're going to mention it as someone one he should do better with, then we have to mention the wonder save hmm. um, that he made. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying uh, it's a howler. Nah, I was just saying that I don't think his positioning was. As good as it could have been, but I agree that the, no, the, save, the other save is amazing. But, but, I mean, the genesis of the problem is um, he's <laughs> reacting to something that's, uh, that he couldn't have anticipated. The ball should uh, never come into the box. The, the, that pass to Madger, as in, yeah, he does really well to turn, but he should never be given a free through ball into what ten yards out from goal. You well, no, absolutely not. But then, that. but then you should never volunteer the possession back to no, the opposition no, no, I, on a, the left. On the I'm left basically hand, agreeing on, with on you. the left hand. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird that sensation. I'm, I'm not really yeah, sure. No. I'll, I'll quite get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, no, look, and, and, and unfortunately, and to be brutally honest about it, Sunderland had a little flurry of pressure at the end of the first half, a little flurry of pressure at the uh, start of the second half, and then when uh, Coleman brought on Asoro and and Madger and went for it, because uh, I actually thought Graben, whom uh, many people were, were were worried about, was largely anonymous uh, in that game. So I thought he um, got some good chances, but he just didn't take them very well. Well, it sounds like he could play up front for us, yeah. couldn't he? Well, he very was, easily. You know we what? Are you know what? He was. He was. You know, the thing about Lewis Graben is that he was in the right places at the right time. He just didn't take his chances very well. But realistically, you know, he would create. He'd have far more chances in a Fulham shirt than he's getting in a Sunderland shirt. And he was making things out of nothing. Yeah, they didn't go in. One of them's a flicked header over the keeper, which he has no right to get to. Another one's a volley on the turn that you know is a little bit tame but and another one he, he, he the ball rebounds off a defender and he takes it first time and he snatches that a little bit but actually he was there which is more than we can say for any of anyone that you know was was in the box for a film and the fact that you know we talked about Ollie Norwood briefly earlier but I think it's relevant that he got on the end of that header in the first half was is is massive massive you know his credit to Ollie Norwood in, in his defense but it's um it is mass- it's a massive issue in terms of why is it Ollie Norwood that has to be breaking into the box there when if we're playing Steph Joe in that role, then that's where he should be. And it makes absolutely no sense to for for the man in the middle to be a you know a five foot eight midfielder breaking out breaking through the middle and having to run seventy yards to get there to be the only person in the box. Well, we're going to come on to Slavisa in a little bit. Seems to be a big swing in confidence uh, against Slav. Uh, one thing to say though, finally for me on the Sundling game is this. Although it was a bad result on Saturday, I don't think there's any denying that. And this Sunderland team was very, very beatable. And, and for a squad with our ability, even though they came down from the Premier League, this was a game that we should have won. However, they are a very different beast under Coleman to the one that we saw most of this season under Simon Grayson. They've, he's made them very hard to beat all of a sudden. He's made them very compact. And I imagine if they keep on improving, they will 
ascend up this division. I don't expect them to be in the championship relegation zone. If they play like they did against us, if they play like they did a few weeks ago against Burton, and especially if they play like they did against Wolves as well. Well, yeah, Coleman's got a really good experience of taking the smaller teams um, and making them really compact and really hard to play against. And I think we saw that against Wales over his tenure. They they become, when he took them over after Gary Speed, there was still an element of them being too open at the back and very susceptible to um, anything of, of higher quality. And uh, when, when Coleman got in there, he made them nice and compact. He switched to like a five slash three at the back system got the best out of Bale and I think that's what he's done here as well is getting the best out of his flair players whilst maintaining a really tight ship at the back and I, th- I think um, you know they are definitely harder to beat than Grayson and Grayson plays completely different football to Coleman and I can see it Dan's gagging to get in here so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it over uh, It's just you know um, Chris Coleman a bit of a Fulham legend really um, and was largely responsible for keeping Fulham in the Premier League as a, as a first time manager when um, it really looked like we were we were going out of the the Premier League, and when you look at the things that he's gone through in his his life and his career, um, it's really good to see somebody doing so well. Obviously, we didn't want him to win on uh, on Saturday, but you know there would have been a few people who'd have put some money on on Sunderland to win, given uh, even if they had Fulham connections, given how well they know uh, how how Fulham can do this from from time to time. But uh, yeah, I think. Coleman is somebody who imbues an identity and a passion uh, on a a team very quickly. He's clearly done that here. Um, And it was always going to be difficult because Coleman and Simons know the football club inside out. They watch us regularly. Um, That's not excusing the the, the really poor attacking play that we put together for, for, for large part. But I think it's always important to acknowledge that, you know, uh, opposing managers and, 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 and teams have had the opportunity to look at us and when they do it well we are really struggling to sort of come up with that plan B if you like to have an answer to questions that sides pose us actually particularly at home mm. more so than away um, which is why this was such a disappointment I think I think it'd be good if we studied some oppositions and maybe found their weaknesses and then used them to exploit them in the yeah, way we, that teams we, do to us every single week. We've mentioned it multiple times that we have the we have the one way and we don't adhere or change that way. And other teams this season have adapted to us. The reason why we played so well last season is because other teams didn't know how to defend against us or how to set up. Whereas this year they have, and then we haven't just we haven't changed the way we play to adapt to other teams or change our way because we know the way another team will set up against us if you know what I mean so yeah I think it's just like I don't I'm not like necessarily hashtag sack the serb hashtag get Slavisa out of the country but like we know your Brexit don't leave it alone <laughs> but <laughs> but like he, 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 I need, we only need some sort of change from him like ha- change the way you're playing to adapt to your position that's how you are successful in any level of football you don't get success by playing one way and only playing to that way you adhere to your opposition and you adhere to what your strengths are and their weaknesses are and Slav just doesn't seem to do that well we're going to come on to more Slavisa stuff in, in just a moment just to say that we're changing up the podcast routine a little bit uh, this week we're having a bit of a trial so we're going to start doing uh, twice weekly podcasts in a in a shocking move so coming up next we're not going to be doing a Barnsley and Cardiff preview uh, we're going to actually be putting that out in a podcast later this week we're also going to be speaking to Dan about some important issues surrounding the Fulham Supporters Trust and we're also going to be speaking to a Barnsley fan as well so that's going to be dropping into your pod boxes or whatever you like to call it uh, th- first thing Thursday morning so 
It's going to be slightly shorter Fulhamish episodes, but hopefully more content. And we're going to get a bit of a trial for a few weeks. Let us know what you think about it and whether this suits you more or less. Maybe you prefer it all just in one big uh, mammoth long podcast to be released every Monday. And if that is the case, then I'm happy to change it. But I feel like people probably prefer um, more often, but slightly shorter. So we're going to give this a trial uh, in the next few weeks. Please let us know your thoughts. Uh, And also do give us uh, a review on iTunes as well at, uh, you, you know how to leave us a review by now. Yeah. Just search Fulhamish Pod and give us some stars and then uh, and let us know who your favourite member of the podcast is. Without wanting to sound like I'm a celeb, Me? five stars, please. Okay, more Slav in, Slav out chat after this. Lads, do you know what be the perfect Christmas present? Beer. Yeah, exactly. Do you know how you can get that? Beer 52. Well done. <laughs> do you know how you can get it really cheap? Put a co Fulham in. The checkout. Perfect. You actually get a free crate of 10 craft beers. Ben Jarman, how does that sound? Tasty. Don Betts, how does that sound? Team cans. Use the code Fulham at beer52.com and get it in time for Christmas. The code's not going to last for long. Hashtag Christmas cans. Big bag of fat Christmas cans. Well done, lads. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, still joined in the studio by Jack Collins, Hola. Ben Jarman, hello. Don Betts hello, hello. and Dan Crawford. Hello. Five-man podcast. It's always an interesting one when there's that extra man. It just adds that little fuel to the fire. Yeah, it's like being up against ten men. so uh, we do need to discuss the VC Akanovic there does seem to be as I mentioned a swinging confidence against Slav this weekend I feel like I saw many on social media who did back the manager seem to have changed their mind now uh, we've put out some polls other Fulham brands have put out polls and I I think the overall consensus from Twitter and Instagram that we did seems to be Slav in for now but the acceleration of Slav outs is quite alarming. Jack Farrell and I had this discussion a few weeks ago on the podcast after Brentford. Um, so I don't want to get Jack's opinion on this for just now because I think we know uh, what camp Jack is in. So I'll start with you, Dom. What do you think the club should do? Give him time? Cut losses now? I don't think he should be sacked, but I think he has to improve what he's doing. Otherwise, he will get the sack. That's, that's the way I see it. Like, I can't see the club getting rid of him now without giving him this whole transfer window, which apparently he will be in control of, which I still don't think he actually will. No, I don't. Um, but, yeah, I think he, it isn't time to sack him, but he has got he is running out of excuses and his time is running out because, as as we mentioned on previous pods, and it's just like he says one thing and then does a completely another different thing on a match day, which I don't understand. And I don't understand if your team is... I wouldn't say we're failing to an extent, but if your team is not playing the way you know it can, there's surely something wrong tactically. Why aren't you adapting the system to fit around your best players in their best positions? I just Or just trying to come against an opponent's weaknesses? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I think it isn't necessarily hashtag Satasur, hashtag Slav out, but it is time for him to change his ways and sort of find some other ways to get some results. I guess I'm next, yeah? You are indeed. From my personal opinion, I think I, I agree a little bit with Dom here. We need to give him a little bit more time, but I, I really do believe that Slav in in himself needs to change. Um, I believe at the moment he's very, very stubborn. He's tact- tactically quite inflexible. And to be a manager that succeeds in any league, you need to have more than one plan. You need to have more, more than one style of playing football, and I don't believe Slav has that at the moment. I'm also willing to give him a transfer window because I believe this one that we had this summer, whilst... Uh, well, I was going to say there are some good things about it, but none of them immediately spring to mind. I think that if we gave him the players that he needed, 
um, and, and the players that he desired, then he could make the team ascend up the league. I think the championship is a very close and, and hard-fought league and everyone knows that. And once you get on a run, it's very easy to ascend up places. And I still, be, I still believe within me somewhere that's, that Slav can do that with us. And then we do have the players there. We've, we've definitely got the core of a good team. I mean, we've got McDonald, we've got Kearney, who are, are by far and away our, our two best players. And I don't understand um, why we didn't really look to strengthen the defence to, to any sort of degree over the summer. Um, I'm not making exclusives for Slav because, although it may sound like I just did, I mean, he vastly needs to improve what he's doing on the pitch. He needs to improve his man management off the pitch. And if he says he's going to do something, he needs to do it. And I think the team really need to have some sort of rocket in, in the right way um, to get them to improve on the pitch because at the moment it seems like they are stuck in a rut they're quite lethargic and and it feels like the only way to do that is to get rid of a manager um, Dan I know you're a big believer in Slav and sticking with a manager and uh, I think pr- credit to you for having that belief and not wanting to um, jump the gun too soon as, as they might say how much impact do you think um, apparently that Slav might have control over the January transfer window. How much impact will him having a month, I know January is quite a difficult time to recruit, could make to the squad? Do you believe he's going to have full control over transfers? Well, I don't understand where that's come from because it's not all, it's not what's been said at all. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's clear that the club is adopting um, an analytical-based transfer policy with a, direct, with a director of football now one of the other cogs in the machine. Um, Mr Klein has has departed um, and that may free up a better working relationship between various people at the football club, um, including James Lovell, who is very highly regarded and has worked at Fulham for a long time and has confidence of, of the head coach. Um, but look, the first thing to say about, about, about this whole thing is, you know, you don't get success by continually sacking managers are the first sign of a problem. Let's take a look at how we rocketed out of the Premier League. We had three managers, one of whom was there for too long in Martin Yole. Then we had somebody who'd never managed before and clearly couldn't manage his way out of a dressing room. <laughs> um, and then we had someone who was totally mad. Um, and uh, when we when we got to the nitty gritty of rearranging a squad for the championship, proved himself totally incapable of judging who was who who was worth keeping around. Um, so, I, and I, you know, I, I totally get the the sense of frustration um, around where we are because we're clearly not playing uh, as well as we could have done. It's it's not uh, as we as we could do rather. There's no there's no there's no point denying that. But I feel like. Yukanovic demonstrated at times last season and in his previous role with with Watford um, that he knows how to get out of this division. And at Watford, he was much more adaptable. Watford didn't play a you know purist brand of football like we're we're playing. And I, I, I just look at it and think, if you're going to sack a manager, then you have to have a better candidate uh, who's ready to take over. And I don't think that better candidate exists. And equally, I don't think we are, uh, as Fulham fans or or watching the team, I don't think we're in the place that's a total disaster yet. Um, Jukanovic has a contract till 2019. Now, if he wants to go, because, you know, then that creates a different dynamic. Then you have to sort of look at it. But he signed that contract. He's been here at this football club longer than 
anywhere else. His staff and some of the people he's brought in, and he himself says he enjoys it here. He's clearly not enjoying not being able to string... Uh, results together um, at the moment but he's a very um, he's a perfectionist so it will be hurting him more than it hurts anyone else um, Jack now I don't know how much you believe in your own phrase at the beginning of the podcast that he's trying to get himself I said, ni- I said 90% yeah exactly I, I knew that. you weren't 100% confident on that but um, rumours today linking him with Espanol, Espanol if they sack Kike Sanchez Flores so that could be a rumour that might build some pace over the next few weeks and may take the decision out of everyone's hands. There's been a lot of rumours about Jakanovic and you know what, if he, if he wants to go to Espanyol, then he'll go to Espanyol and if he doesn't, then he won't. But, you know, taking another job wouldn't, you know, necessarily be the, you know, the answer to anyone's problems. I'd like to state my position on this because I feel like I'm getting brutally misquoted all over the gaff. So I, I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it down on paper. I want to fundamentally Slavisa Jakanovic to succeed. I love the way he plays football. I love the way that Fulham played football last year. I am into footballing coaches. I am the last person in the world that would call for you know a Tony Pulis apart from maybe Ben Jarman, um, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or sorry, anyone sorry, long I'm ball offend, football. I'm offended by that. <laughs> no, or any other long ball football. I love the way Jakanovic's sides play football when they play football. Something is fundamentally wrong at the moment with how Fulham are playing football. It, it simply isn't working, and Jukanovic is too stubborn to change it. And the reason I've been so upset about everything and been so vocal in my criticism for him because I don't think he's going to change. I really don't. I fully don't believe that Jukanovic has it in him to, to, to change his system or to, or to actually basically develop a plan B or basically think about anyone else apart from he'll be like I want my team to play this way and I'm therefore not going to study the opposition I'm going to try and play football around them no matter who they are right that's how I see Jukanovic playing the game and and for that reason I don't think that this is going to work out and that's why I'm putting my but I want it to I'd like my I'd like this football to work I like when Fulham play football under Jukanovic what I'm saying is the hottest love has the coldest end well, on that bombshell, How poetic. Think, yeah, beautiful. Can I can I just quickly add uh, yes, a couple of, of cents in on Espanol? Get that bag ready. Why they might, why they, why they might actually want Slav? Yes, because last season Espanol finished seventh or eighth, I think they finished in in La Liga, and they'd had a huge amount of investment over the over the previous summer from a newly like Chinese investor, and they just had a brand new stadium as well, which is one of, perhaps one of the nicest you'll ever see in Europe. And if you ever get out to Barcelona. Please do go and have a look at it. Um, obviously, it's not a Camp Nou, but you know it's pretty good. Um, and this season, they're really struggling. A, very, a football hipster would only go to, would go to Barcelona and go on the Espanol football tour. I mean, they're readily available at 15, 15 euros a ticket, so you might as well go. Um, but this year, they are they're struggling in seventeenth, um, or I think they've just gone up to sixteenth. And they just drew last night with um, Las Palmas, who are potentially one of the worst teams I've ever seen in La Liga ever. Hmm. Um, and they, they managed to throw away a two-goal lead. And this this year, again, they've been heavily backed across the summer, brought in some good players like Sergi Dada, Esteban Ganero, um, and uh, Diego Lopez in goal. And they're really not performing to where they should be. And Flores, as we saw at, at, at Watford, is a really good builder of a solid base for a team. But he gets to a point where results don't go his way anymore because he's got as far as he can take the team. And it's for someone else to take them over, whether that's Walter Mazzari or whether that's now... Um, Marco Silva um, and you know I think his time at Espanyol has probably, probably come to an end and it is time for him to, to move that building block somewhere on to somewhere else as well um, and Slavisa so would make sense for Espanyol? 
I think they would because they've got the personnel to play um, the way that Slavisa would want to play. I mean, the midfield three is is Dardo, Granero, um, and one more whose name escapes me right now. Oh, Javi Fuego. And it's, it's 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 three players that can really pass the ball well. They're they're quite a creative three in there. If you wanted to pass, if you wanted to pair them all together, I think he'd do quite well out there. I mean, Flores has built many many teams before, and Espanyol's probably one of his greatest triumphs to get them where they were. Um, with with in mind that they were perennial, um, like fifteenth or sixteenth place finishers before that. Okay, well, thank you for that, Ben. Let's move on to the post bag. Jack Collins, uh, quite a few streaming in I saw earlier. So, yeah. what's what's the questions looking like for today? So, we got one on Instagram, which is a, an interesting one from one Fennel one eight two. He said, um, listen to the pod every week, respect your views and opinions, and at first I agreed with you with that Rui Font is technically good, but how long does he have until he becomes a flop and both parties move on? If so, who else? For me, he says it'd be Lucas Joao on loan or Nelson Oliveira. I like the shout of Oliveira, actually. I've, Do you think I, he'd come? I no. sort of, well, he's not been playing too much, has he? Yeah, he's been playing more. Oh, he's been playing more again now. Mm. Well, I think I it's, still, a, I think I it's a hotly like contested topic amongst... Norwich supporters. Yeah, I still I still like the shout of Oliveira. I think Fonte's probably got until the end of the season before we cast him away as a flop. I mean I mean, not me personally, Dan. I can see you shaking your head, but I mean like it's a Fulham fan base. We can be fickle at times. It's quite easy to write off a player so early in his in his Fulham career when he costs that much money, per- perceivably that much money, because no one knows how much it actually is and undisclosed transfers, etc. But a, a walker, like a everyday walk of life fan, will see a nine million pound striker who scored two goals this season, and they will say he's a flop. But that's the problem, isn't it? Like here we are, previous segment talking about potentially sacking manager when last season everyone was wearing those Slavisa making Fulham great again T-shirts and singing his name and calling the T-shirts, him a, call, calling him a god. And now we're talking about uh, Ray Font. Um Look. Seasoned football observers, you know, Arsene Wenger famously said it takes 18 months for a foreign player to come and adjust to, to the English game. Now, Font has been here previously, but it was right at the start of his mm. career as a as a teenager at, at Arsenal. Um, and I, I, I just think you have to have a bit of patience. I mean, maybe it's because I'm getting old, but... Um, maybe, mate. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I, I do wonder about, about some of these things. You know, Font has come in at Portman Road. He looked absolutely electric and looked like if he played on the shoulder of the last defender mm. and was in there poaching, um, he could really, really deliver something. He got injured then and had a long spell out of the side. And when he came back, Kearney wasn't in the team. And the Kearney dynamic, Kearney to, to Font, looked really, really strong at Ipswich. And I also think, you know, he's playing in a variety of different positions at, at the moment. And he created our two best openings in the first half at um, at Sunderland. But because he doesn't run around two-foot people and, you know, um, and sort of, like, you know, show that he really cares, um, some fans take against him. Now, he's clearly in the team to score goals or, or, or create goals, and it's clearly not going as well as people would have, would have hoped. But to write him off on the basis of, you know, how many games has he played? Eight, nine, something like that. Nine starts, something like that, is a bit too early for me. How many of those games have actually been playing up front in a number nine position? Not enough. Exactly. He's probably played about half of them in number nine. A lot of the times he, he's actually maybe come off the bench, and it's just, I think to write him off as a flop is like, this, the people who call him a flop probably think Brian Reeves is a flop. It's, it's the yeah. same sort of people. It's like, 
he clearly just isn't being played in a system which is effective for him and he's been played out wide on the on the left wing when he clearly is a striker he wasn't the captain of a team who got into the Europa League who if you're not if you're a bad player i know often people who come from like portuguese league Spanish League, etc., etc., over into the championship, it might not work straight away, but he's definitely got the ability. As Dan said, we saw that Ipswich away. That's definitely the best I've seen us play this season. And Tom Kearney was like pretty 50% fit in that game. Yeah. So, and Ipswich have been a pretty good side this season. So we have, it's not like, I think they were unbeaten in the league up until that point. So we've got, 100%. These, we've got the ability. And I just think it's because the confidence is just low in general. No one's playing well at the moment. Everyone could be regarded as a flop. The only player I think's really come with any sort of flying colours this season so far has been Tim Ream. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, until until Font gets a run of six to seven games through the middle in a number nine role, which we've talked about, I, I just see, can't see how you can write him off in any sort of capacity. Because until you get a string of a string of games in your favoured position, you know when team we t- you talked about it earlier briefly, Dan. But when Tim Ream came in, we played him as a left back, and he was rubbish. And I think he'd be the first to admit that he was rubbish. And um, and then he moved to centre-back Trash. into his preferred position. <laughs> and then he moved to centre-back into his preferred position. Garbage. He was given a string of games in the team and he proved his worth. And I think, you know, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't take a genius to work out that if you play, play players in their preferred positions in a system that suits them, they're going to come good, especially someone with the amount of talent as Rui Font. That However, said, I do, look, I do like Lucas Schell. I was just about I think to that's say a good that. Shout. Yeah, very good shout. If you were going to bring anyone, it would be. I, I think we will bring in a forward, and, and Lucas Zhao would be would be high up on my list. Jack Marriott would as well from Peterborough, um, linked again with a load of Championship sides today. Cost about two million pounds, I reckon. Uh, I, I feel that that's a, a wise and shrewd investment for for little money. It's too obvious for us. Yeah. We don't like anyone else to play second division Belgian football. <laughs> And that's coming from me. Are yeah. we getting John Bostock in then? <laughs> so I really hope we're going in for Zeki Friars. Good player. Jason Kumas is available. <laughs> so next? I move on. This, uh, we got one from, from Ted Mansour, who's from San Diego. So good morning, oh, San Diego. Nice weather, as they say. Hey! Um, <laughs> He's he's actually sent us an absolutely lovely message, so thank you very much, Ted. I'm not going to read it all out because it's a it's it's a little bit self self effacing. Oh yeah, it's real nice. Um, But anyway, his question was: Is it a taught tactic of Slavs that when we are on the counter, the wingers stop outside of the box, dilly dally on the ball, and pass it back to the halfway line (laughs) to regroup against the now reformed and better organised defence? It does seem like that is the plan, and trying to and then trying to pass the ball into the net against eleven men in defence is the natural byproduct of not being overwhelming and direct when the wingers are approaching the box on the counter total football that's what it is it's just unfair isn't it if they, if you've got a man advantage yeah um, uh, the only thing I can say to you Ted is yeah I mean we we spend a lot of time considering this as well um, does, does Dan do you have an answer um, I don't know about an answer um, <laughs> it, it's it's one of the baffling things really really isn't it sometimes when 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 you see how we play, um, I think at the moment it's clear down to confidence. Mm. Um, but also, I think there's a there's a he uh, Yukanovic has a belief in this possession based football, and at its most simplistic, that is that the opposition can't score when you have the ball, and the longer that you pass it around, the more tired the opposition gets by chasing it. But I think Sammy made the point earlier on about tempo and how you start games and how quickly you put teams teams under pressure the difference in between this season so far and last season is intensity both mm. in terms of how quickly we move the ball around and how we break and the one other thing that I 
that, that I think is missing is where, where Kearney is pivotal in this team. Because I feel that in this, in this um, system that we're currently watching, Kearney is far too deep. He's getting the ball, he's passing it. We've got people like Norwood and McDonald who are distributors of a ball from a deep-lying position. I want Tom Kearney to be breaking into the box, you know, higher up getting those 10 or 15 goals a season in the manner of the, the, the famous attacking midfielders of old, making late runs into the box. and po- Dave Edwards, if po- you will. Posing, wow, there's one. <laughs> posing real problems for, for, for the opposition. At the moment, he's too detached from that final third for me. I think the, the reason that he's too detached is because we're playing a false nine instead of a striker. And I mean, it, it just keeps coming back to this, that we're in, in a 4-3-3 where you're playing a false nine, you're naturally, your midfield is naturally much more withdrawn. Whereas if you play a 4-3-3 with a spearhead, your top, your, your, your attacking midfielder then sits behind them in almost like a pushed up to a 4-2-3-1. And that's how like those systems work. But as soon as you have a withdrawn striker and indrawn forwards, the midfield naturally reverts to sort of a backwards diamond, which puts your most defensive defielder among the centre halves, and we spoke about how that can work, and especially so if we're overloading teams. But in terms of if you want to see Tom Kearney in that ten, you cannot play a withdrawn nine. So here's here's my here's my my uh, rebuttal. My question: Are we starting to realise, as, as Fulham fans, just how pivotal Chris Martin? Uh, was to that system last season or a Chris Martin type figure um, in terms of providing that focal point um, for the attack and I, d- I don't necessarily think we need to debate that at length I'm no, just no. saying that, oh, yeah. co- that kind of forward gives you a few more options it's something yeah. that we don't you know the pedigree of that forward in this division is something we don't currently have I don't necessarily I disagree with you there whatsoever but it's just in my personal opinion that when we didn't play with that focal point striker we had a fluid system that we played a little bit better um, and that's when our form really kicked off is when, when Martin dropped out the team and I don't know if Slav used it as a sort of as a, as a go and prove him wrong tactic but um, I, I did really like Chris Martin and, and you guys will know if you listen to the early iterations of the pod that I was firmly on his side the early but, chapters and, and equally then when he dropped out and you had sort of Cabano or Aite as a mm. false nine you know I, I would think Cabano or Aite would be much more suited to that kind of role than Johansson currently is but we yeah. don't have either of them at the moment Don Betts will tell you that, that Cabano and Aite did not play in a false nine role whereas Johansson is playing in a false nine role exactly well, I don't need to talk about it again it's just they weren't playing in a false nine role they were just playing up front but they're not strikers so this actually this goes nicely on here so we got this from an email earlier from Josh Alalat he says my question is what is more important in the January transfer window a centre half or a striker I'll take your iterations quickly please Sammy um, it's a centre half even though obviously we are light up front and I still would like a striker Lucas Zhao would be top of my priority list because I think he's available and would be possible on loan and I think he would add a lot to our strike force I think the lack of depth in defence is alarming um, clearly Rafa Schwarz isn't rated so I wouldn't mind a left back and I would not mind a centre back to A provide some competition and B some backup to Tim Ream and Thomas Callas um, when we put the poll out I replied to it saying if you voted for anything else other than defence you're mad and I stand by that comment Dom goalkeeper <laughs> yes, while I actually don't disagree with you at all that actually wasn't the question Dom <laughs> centre back or a striker centre off but I don't know actually 
Like, because because I feel like when when our team's one hundred percent fit, I would go for striker. But because of the complete lack of depth we have at centre back, because we just didn't recruit well at all. Because Marcelo Jalas, me and Ben have said, just disregard his existence. One hundred percent record in the team. <laughs> yeah, because he had clean sheet record. One hundred percent when he's when he's playing. So maybe he should be playing more. No, but um, just just no. We should. He should just disregard his existence. We should. I mean, he, he doesn't really exist. He plays like once or twice. But like, no, I think I think if. When we do need more cover in centre, maybe not a starting centre back because I believe Callis and Ream are good championship quality centre backs. But like Den- the way Dennis Adore has now become our third choice centre back, even though his best position is either right or left back. I mean, just yeah, centre back. But right. yeah, still goalkeeper is the answer. Thank you, Dom. Uh, Mr. Crawford, I'll take your your opinion on this one as well, please. I'd be greedy. Why can't we have both? Well, no, I mean, I mean, I agree. I mean, yes, ideally, in an ideal world, we'd have both. You know, we we clearly didn't weren't as successful in the previous transfer window as we thought. You can have both, but it'll be Richard Stearman and another striker. No, it won't be Richard (laughs) Stearman because if Richard, oh mate, I still have that vision of Richard Stearman striking the crossbar after Brentford equalised last a couple of seasons Mm. ago, and it was like, Richard, it's your job to stop them from scoring. You know, (laughs) maybe if you'd have like done something else, we wouldn't have to shake the crossbar violently like that <laughs> um, no look I, the key thing is it's about depth I think Dom Jack and Ben have, have, have summed it up here that you know January is a difficult time to recruit I, you know I was trying to think of the last time we had a really successful January and it's probably Hangland, Neverland and Co in the Great Escape season which shows you how difficult it is um, clubs will know that we're going to be hankering after um, the the sort of Belgian second division, French second division, and all these other places. Shallowly, so Barnsley, but, Preston North. But we need, but we, you know, we need reinforcements. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Okay, so there are there are two more questions uh, for you. One is a one is a very quick one. He says um, this is from Luke Johnson, who says obviously Slav's been linked with Stoke as well as Espanyol this week. He says if Slav goes to Stoke, will Crouch be on the wing? Charlie Adam at centre forward and Shakiri at left back. I can't wait to see that get in my veins. Yeah. I hope they hire him right now. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, as a sensible question, but at least uh, I'll bring Jesse Rodriguez in from the cold. Yeah, exactly. Literally, right. Nick Nick Griffith um, sent us a, a long message, but he he says basically, do you think dropping some regulars and an introduction of youth is something that should be considered at this stage? Uh, I'm going to start with Dan actually, who's given me a real look about that one. Oh, have I? Oh, sorry, that's just my normal <laughs> good evening chat. Look. Um, uh, look, I think one of the, the strong credentials that Yukanovic has brought to the job is that he's wanted to promote uh, younger players into the side quicker than, than anybody else. You know, I don't think anyone foresaw um, Ryan Tessnion becoming such a fixture in the team uh, last season at such a young age. It's credit to um, Hugh Jennings and Malcolm Elias and Steve Wigley that we've got such a strong academy. And there are a number of players who've already... Um, made positive impressions on the first team, uh, Matt O'Reilly, Luca De La Torre, and Teo Eden. Um, but it's about judging when the opportunity is right for them. You don't want to burn them out too quickly. Um, and you've got to look, when, when we're talking about let look at the opposition and look at um, who's there. And I would say that Alberto Escobar and Javier Pereira do do that. That is what they do. Um, you know, um, whether it's as effective as it could be is based, is down to the players, really. Um, but it's clear that Yukanovic wants to use um, the young players. You look at how many of them have been on the bench um, um, recently, and that's one of the really positive things. That's one of the reasons why I, I would support him um, continuing in the in the job. Ben? 
Whilst I think that Delatore and and uh, Eden and, uh, and countless other youngsters we got in our system could do a job, I think um, on like a wider social scale, I think when when something's not going right for the team, I think a lot of people then search within themselves to find a better alternative or an alternative that no one's ever, no one's thought of before. And I remember this distinctly when we weren't doing too well in the championship. I think the second season down. Um, when everyone was calling for Sean Kavanagh to play left back and Jack Grimmer to play right back and and, and that sort of thing, and I, I'm not necessarily sure that that was probably the right thing to do at that period of time, and I'm not sure that you know relying on youngsters to the extent that people want to do um, this time around is the right thing to do either. That being said, I do believe that there are certain players in this squad that need to be you know dropped because their performances aren't good enough. Unfortunately, Steph- Stephanie Hansen is one of those. And I think that players that are currently out in the cold um, can be brought in. I think um, Cissé, as I mentioned earlier, could be one of them players. And I think we also need to be mindful that we've got a couple of players out injured who could have a real impact on this squad in Piazon and, and Aita. And that's my diplomatic answer. Cultured left foot though, King Cav. Uh, I'm going to throw this one to Dominic. Um, I think I was going to bring any of the youngsters in. The one I've been impressed with most has probably been Matt O'Reilly. I think he, he can control the game. For, friend of the pod. Exactly, friend of the pod. Also, I'm friend of his dad. Met him once in Poznan. Great, yeah, great guy. Or whatever that, wherever that game, second game was called. But great no, dad. Great <laughs> dad. Great dad. Mate, great dad. Great dad. Great bloke. Great dad. You know, unbelievable, great unbelievable musician. Unbelievable. Got that on the car one day. No, but I think I think Matt O'Reilly has impressed me and so does Delatore, but I don't think they're the answer to bring them in. It's nice to see him play and I think they should be getting more game time than they are but I don't think they're necessarily the answer. I think it's just about actually Slav having some bollocks and dropping the uh, some of our key players in last season who simply aren't performing this year, yep. like Stefan Johansson. Yep. How is he still in the side? He's clearly not fit. He's been playing absolutely awful. So just drop him and just bring in a more sort of alternate... I don't know what the answer I'm looking for here is, but bring someone who wants to play. And what I don't understand is like, these players haven't been playing so they're going to want to play and they're going to want to impress the likes yeah. of Abubakar Kamara, the likes of if Molo got a game, if Graham got a game, etc., yeah. etc. But yeah, I don't think re- really the answer is to bring in the youngsters. I think that's just, it's good for them to get game time, but I don't really think it's the answer. Just very quickly, while we're talking about the youngsters, can we give a shout-out to the under-18s who uh, won at Huddersfield in the FA Youth Cup? Yeah, and they won on penalties. Oh, they won on penalties, and Luca Ashby-Hammond yep. should be promoted to the first team Immediately, for the, for the sole purpose <laughs> of, of taking, taking penalties. penalties and saving them, because he saved three penalties in the shootout, and in sudden death, he stepped up to slot one <laughs> right into the top corner. <laughs> and if you've seen it, he walks up to the penalty like he was getting his shopping, uh, you know, and slams it into the top corner <laughs> and then just walks to the to the goal line to say to take to save the next penalty as if that's something he does every day. Yeah, big up Ashby Hammond. What a bloke. What a bloke. Uh, Samo, do you want to wrap us up? Well, the saviour looks like it's going to be coming in the form of Ashby Hammond, which Maybe. is uh, unexpected to say the least. That's all we've got time for today today on this week's podcast so jack we do need a name for today's podcast before we round this all up yeah i've got a good one uh, it's come home montella no i'm joking um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey. Hey, yes. no. <laughs> that is um that would please gentleman jim very much i do i do have a soft spot for vincenzo montella and also a good manager and did good things with ac milan last year and fiorentina so i'm actually going to call this one crumbled for cookie 
crumbled for cookie. Very, very nice. Okay, well, we will be back, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, with a midweek episode, uh, a Fulhamish Extra, if you will. Uh, we'll have much more from Dan on the FST, plus a Barnsley and Cardiff preview as well. Uh, so hope you enjoy that. Let us know your feedback on the new midweek pod. And also there'll be a Christmas quiz coming on that podcast as well. So loads of festive goodness for your ears. All that remains to be said is thank you very much, Jack Collins. Thank you very much, Sammy. Thank you very much, Ben Jarman. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you very much, Dominic Betts. All right. And Dan Crawford making his debut. Thank you very much as well. Thanks for tolerating me. Absolute pleasure. You're welcome. <laughs> we'll be back later this week. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. Laters. Toodles. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, a podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends.